And now it's time for the TOT Cast with your hosts, Chris O'Kranitz and Ryan Greco. With the first pick in the 2013 NBA Draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers select... Anthony Bennett Whoa. of Toronto, Canada, and the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Whoa. Whoa is right, Ryan. That feels like ages ago when Anthony Bennett went number one overall, does it not? Hard to believe that it was literally only, what are we counting at now, almost three years? Yeah, and he's Two about and a half years? Well, he's about to go to his fourth team in three years now. It's, uh... <sighs> I can't even put words together to describe what this kid's going through with the ups and downs of his NBA career that feels like it's barely started. Honestly, I don't. I he's been through more ups and downs it seems than most veterans have been in the league for eight years. At let least. alone let alone two and a half. Guy's barely twenty two years old. I mean, if look at it this way, if he had stayed in college, he'd be declaring for the draft this year. I think. Yeah, actually, I think this would be the year he does declare for the draft. So that tells you how young he still is. Yeah. But before we get too much into Anthony Bennett talk here, we'll we'll come back to him and discuss him a little more in depth later on the Most show. Most definitely. Um, welcome to the show, everybody. This week, joining us again is uh, Megan McPeak from the Raptors 905. She discussed with Ryan the Raptors 905, what's going on there, you know, touch base with everything in that regard. Um, for us right now, though, how about those Raptors? Unbelievable performance against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, I mean, Kyle Lowry, what's more to say? He's had... Um, Quite a few performances the last couple of uh, games, but I mean, that one against Cleveland, what else is there really to say about it? He did everything. He took the team on his back and said, we're winning this one, boys. It was literally him. DeRozan had a, a really awful night that night. Uh, you could chalk it up to the flu, if if you like. I mean, he was sick. Yeah. But Lowry literally put the team on his back. Yeah. I mean, he didn't go like all Steph Curry mode, draining threes and hitting <laughs> game winners from half court. I mean, that guy's not human. But what Lowry did was pretty damn close. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And I mean... I was uh, I, I wrote about this before the game, just you know, and I, I I had this similar thought of a lot of people around the city, that, you know, basically saying, as much as the Raptors were downplaying the fact that you know it's just another game, it's just another game, you know, this is these are the teams that we do have to beat, but it's just another game. Oh, did we mention that it's just another game? <laughs> <laughs> you you the people that were reporting on the game couldn't have been more opposite about their narrative about how this game is going down because. This is the measuring stick. All roads go through Cleveland, going through the Eastern Conference Final, no matter how dysfunctional they seem to be on the outside looking in. Uh, from our perspective, uh, this is still the best team in the Eastern Conference, and the way the Raptors rose to the occasion, and more specifically Kyle Lowry, it bodes great signs. I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Seeing them play that night against Cleveland, watching it from start to finish, was was nice to see because it was a weird game, mm-hmm. a little bit where they had some really high highs and a lot of low lows. The game flow in it was just like, okay, without Kyle Lowry, this is a blowout. But to kind of touch on the Cleveland thing where you said where it looks like there's dysfunctional and there's a bit of turmoil there, yeah, uh, they couldn't really get much going down the stretch. Like They were up by double digits, and they, they kind of blew the game. And nobody really talked about that narrative. It was like, oh, man, the Raptors won. But <laughs> nobody wants to talk about how poorly Cleveland played down the stretch. So for all the times that we say, you know, it's LeBron, he'll figure it out, and I still believe that they will, quote-unquote, figure it out come playoff time. I think there's some real issues there in Cleveland. And it's interesting you brought that up because, I mean, this is something we're beginning to see more consistently now. Yes, the Cleveland Cavaliers are first in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they, they beat a lot of teams, obviously. 
But, you know, you were talking about this earlier before we went on the air uh, about uh, Charles Barkley and his comments. So I think it was earlier today or yesterday he was talking about uh, saying that he didn't want to watch any games if it didn't involve Cleveland, San Antonio, uh, the Clippers, the Warriors, to that extent, something along those lines. And uh, it's true because what it, what it really means is when you see the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, as good as they are, they're also beating up on a lot of bad teams, as are a lot of the really good teams in the league this year. I mean, no one's really talking about the Spurs, and they're still in single digits in the loss column. They're still undefeated at home. <laughs> right? Like, that's it's ridiculous. And so when you see Cleveland, this recurring theme now is as soon as they run into anybody like a Toronto or even a team like Boston can give them some trouble now. Or if they go onto the West Coast or they're facing the Western Conference, especially in the top level, they are not doing well against any of these teams in the last little bit of this year. So, you know, it's one thing to have the 41 wins, but who are they coming against? And a lot of people are saying that about the Raptors for the longest time. That's fair. I mean, you can say that about a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference because the East has improved, but it's still not comparable to the West. And I'm going to take a step further. There is the elite teams in the NBA. Yep. There's the five or six teams that are the creme de la creme and the rest of them. They're just mediocre. You're just filling out the league. That's it. But at the end of the day, it's the same teams every year. People want to cry paired to the NBA. It doesn't exist. It's the same six teams. It's the same champions. It's the same players winning championships every year. Just nobody likes to talk about it or admit it. And that's why the league is having issues right now. Yep. And you know what's funny? The league has always been like this, though. There really hasn't, you know, um, saved some, some years in the 70s. <laughs> to yeah. be honest, where there was real parity in the league when, you know, it wasn't as financially stable as it is today. But even before that, in the 60s, you had the Celtics running show. You had the Lakers running show before that. Like, it was it was always these one or two teams. And no one cared back then because it wasn't it wasn't the type of game that it is today. It's not worldwide. Not as many people pay attention. And so there isn't as many opinions that were involved back then. But nowadays, <laughs> Yeah, it's unfair for me to say that it has issues because the league's prosperous. It's making as much money as probably ever. Right yeah. now, uh, it, it's doing well in that regard. But when you look at the product on the court, Charles is right. It is hard to watch a lot of these games on a nightly basis unless it's the premier games. Yep. And the most frustrating part is, like, you know the kids are trying. But it's it, it's even a, a, a it's even a, a comment or a take on, on sports in general nowadays. Athletes are getting bigger, faster, and stronger. And when they're bigger and faster, stronger, what else does that mean? They're getting younger. Guys are coming into the league at a younger age. Or guys are retiring at a younger age because they're getting supplanted by guys that are bigger, stronger, and more athletic than them. It's very rare. Like, the NFL's a good example of this. It's very rare you're going to see guys in the NFL nowadays in a locker room that are north of 32. Back in the day, there was at least three or four of those guys that was part of the veteran leadership of the team. How does that make the product worse? The only way it makes it... it what The best way you can put it is... That when you have a veteran presence on a team that may be able to show these guys and get down to their level and explain to them what's going on or having a smarter temperament towards taking the game. Because you're seeing a lot of silly mistakes, especially with these younger teams like the Sixers and even teams like the, I know the Sacramento Kings, they're fighting for a playoff spot. But it just looks so dysfunctional sometimes with so many young, well that's what I mean, like you've got so many young hotheads working around this league and there just seems to always be a kind of lack of veteran leadership going on in a lot of these really bad teams. And I don't know, I just, it just feels like even though there's always, it's always been there, it just seems a little bit more prevalent now than it's ever been. I guess we'll, we'll agree to disagree there. I feel like yeah. that's a coach's job to kind of get hold of your team and be the veteran leadership. Especially but even that guy younger. doesn't have the same kind of power he used to have. Then get rid of him. I mean, then you're getting rid of about 80% of the league of that, That's a league epidemic as far as it, towards that. It's not really a coaching thing then. 
Because the coaches have always, I mean, it's professional sports. The coaches are always going to go before the players. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't group professional sports and young people and problems as one thing. I feel like it's more NBA-based right now than any other sport, where there's these issues that are more prevalent in the NBA than any other sport, in my opinion. They could be. <laughs> <laughs> before we get too far off topic, though, something that a lot of people are starting to talk more about now with the Raptors is that after beating the Cavaliers... They're kind of being grouped in the same discussion of possibly winning the number one seed, which is something that you've been hinting at for weeks, and yeah. something I think more Raptors fans are actually starting to believe now. I know we both agree that they have a legitimate shot at winning the number one seed in the East here. Yeah. What else do they have to do for people to kind of believe it more than they already do? Well, as of right now, they're still sitting about two games back because Cleveland's pretty much been keeping pace for them uh, this entire stretch. As far as what they have to do next, really, all they have to continue to do is just close out games. They're gonna, they could use a little bit more production from guys outside of just Lowry and, and DeRozan offensively. I mean, Luis Scola's having a bit of a rough patch right now. Oh, yeah. Um, he, uh, he was a guy who they counted on greatly at the beginning of the season. Uh, probably, honest, arguably, he was the best pickup. Him and, and Biombo were the two best pickups for this team outside of Demari Carroll. And, uh, I mean, once Demari Carroll gets back and is healthy, I mean, there's a whole other... Um, tangent, there's a whole other angle, sorry, of, of this team that we still haven't even really explored. I mean, keep in mind, the Raptors have won 40 games without Damari Carroll being a part of a, a, a considerable chunk of those games. Mm -hmm. And he was supposed to be the X factor that was supposed to be holding down LeBron James or Kevin Durant or anybody else that they might face either in the playoffs or down, down in the stretch in the regular season. So seeing that amazing length that the Raptors have been able to display and hard-nosed defense, getting back to what Casey had been preaching the very first year he took over this team. They weren't a good team, but man, were they a tough play against every single night defensively. And they have reverted back into that. And it's just, if honestly, right now, it's just a matter of staying the course. And no one's going to take them seriously. It's the playoffs. It's going to be the only thing that anyone's going to take them seriously about. Even the American commentators down in the States, they're not even, they're still ignoring the fact of even mentioning them when they say top five teams. The Clippers are always getting mentioned before the Raptors. Why? Because they've shown some postseason success. And so that's what they need to do next. I do feel like the Clippers are a better team still at this point. But really? I, I think so. Yeah. 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 Well, Chris Paul's a hell of a player. And they do have DeAndre Jordan still. I mean, Yeah, when Chris Paul's not whining for fouls, he's still a hell of a player. I mean, that's always been a knock on him. But <laughs> he's, he balls out that guy every night. And I just feel like... They are still a little bit deeper than the Raptors. That's really it in that regard. They couldn't meet to the finals anyway, so it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. But just a, a little tidbit there. Uh, something with the Raptors, though, that they also did was they waived Anthony Bennett, which is something we hinted at earlier in the show. Yeah, they did. Sound the gong for him. <laughs> this is this the end for Anthony Bennett? Because think of it like this. There's been no top pick since Charlie Snare in 1950 that has averaged less than Bennett's 4.2 points per game right now. Now this is his third team that he's been released from. He's looking to enter his fourth team. There's been questions about his work ethic. There's been issues around his shoulder, sleep apnea, asthma, his overall fitness, desire, you name it. There's been a lot of things. Is this the end for Anthony Bennett? Someone's going to take a chance on him. Are they going to do it right away? He might be at home in Brampton right now just kind of mulling over his options and decisions and choices. Um, I don't think, I still, somehow, I still don't think this is the end for him. I still think someone's going to look at his body of work, especially in his time that he spent over the, over the summer with, with Canada playing for them. He was averaging 15 points and 10 rebounds in the uh, FIBA Americas. 
he was he was putting up more consistent numbers than freaking Andrew Wiggins at that tournament. <laughs> but the most important thing to remember with him is that he was also kind of put in a bad situation here in Toronto where there was literally four guys ahead of him whoa, whoa, that all whoa, showed. Whoa, whoa, hold on. You really believe he's put in a bad situation here? Well, he, was, he wasn't put in a bad situation initially. Hindsight's twenty twenty. But when they saw how great... This is something that the coaching staff was going on and on about earlier today and yesterday. Talking about releasing him, saying we just couldn't give him the minutes. Now. Because there were too many guys. Yes, now. But look at, like, Damari Carroll's been out for an extended period of time this yes. year. He could have stepped up and filled that void. James Johnson's also been out. Yeah. Louis Skoll has struggled. Patrick Patterson struggled at one point. Anthony Bennett couldn't take advantage of any of those opportunities. During a lot that's of a those op- problem, man. That's true. But during those opportunities, when someone was faltering, someone else stepped up. When Valanciunas was out, Biombo stepped up. When Scola, was, sorry, when Carroll was out, Scola stepped up and was hot. And then when Pat, even when Patrick Patterson was faulting, that was when Scola was playing his best. And then the reverse happened. As soon as Scola started struggling, Patterson was doing well. And these are all guys that. One, Skull has been a, a, a veteran in this league now for God knows how many years, at least a decade. You've got Patrick Patterson, a guy that Casey knows and trusts. He's been through the battles with him, especially through the playoff pushes the last two seasons. There's guys that he has history with. Bennett has always been a guy who's never achieved. So, it, yes, absolutely, to a certain extent, it's it's definitely been his fault and why he hasn't been able to seize the opportunity. But there, but it's also would be unfair to say that, you know, he he didn't already have a bit of a bias against him because all of these other guys in front of him, for one point or another, were able. Casey was able to trust more. So considering none of those guys, well, of all those guys I named earlier, none of them actually were healthy at the same time. So that means that none of them played 48 minutes a night. There was always minutes to be distributed. He could have easily carved a piece of those minutes out. But that stuff happens in practice. That stuff happens in team scrimmages. And that happens in the little minutes that he got where he did dick all. And look lost out there. So that's why I have a really hard time believing that this is kind of not his fault. Where they're saying, you know, we just didn't have minutes for him. Well, you're kind of choosing not to give him minutes because, like you said, they don't trust him. Mm -hmm. And now that everybody's starting to become healthy again, he's just wasting a roster spot. He's within a way. And I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way how you, you have so many opportunities in the NBA, on your home team, as a professional... And you can't make it work. He's basically had four chances this year to kind of put it together. Yep. Even at the D-League. He went to the D-League and the guy checked out two games with back spasms. Yep. Man, you, you know you're on your last legs. Like, show some heart. Put yeah. it together. <laughs> get some desire. You know, like, yep. get it going a bit here. It's, it's got to eat away at you knowing you're a former number one overall pick and you're kind of a bust. I mean, even guys like Bargiani, Candy, just to name a few, made NBA careers out of what they're considered to be busts. Bennett's literally going to be an exception to that. Yeah. Which is nuts. Uh, yeah, if he keeps going the way he's going, absolutely. And it's it's interesting that you brought that up. I mean, even the last time I spoke to Megan about it, she was saying that, you know, he's he's he still didn't even look all there at the Hershey Center. That's a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, And it's like there's only so many times you can make an excuse for a guy that really – you know, when he wants, we've seen what happens when he really wants to play. When he really wants to play and he sees a coaching staff that trusts him, like Team Canada, that's when you see him starting to make the right decisions in the ball. Because, I don't know, sometimes some sometimes some situations are good fits for guys. But to your point, at the end of the day, man, you gotta you got to remember that you're not playing basketball. This is your job. Yeah. This isn't just, I'm a basketball player. This is, I'm a professional going to work. And I think that's something that has been lost on him since the day he left UNLV. And I think even when he was in UNLV, you know, 
I, I was screaming from the highest mountaintop. This guy's not NBA ready when he got drafted. He was. He had like moments at UNLV where there'd be some games you watch and you'd be like, man, this guy could take over a game. And then there's other times where you're like, okay, I don't understand. Poor shot selection. He knows yeah. he can take that shot, but he'll take it anyway, even though it's not the right shot. Like, and he, he was a unique man. He was a big power forward that was kind of undersized in height, but big in size. Yeah, could shoot the three, could dribble the ball, could move a bit. And you're like, okay, you know what? This could really be something. This could be the future stretch four that everybody's looking for in the NBA that can shoot the three, stretch the floor. Mm -hmm. And it just fell off a cliff. To be fair as well, if you go and look back at those rosters that they had in the Mountain West, they didn't have a lot of big guys consistently covering him to begin with. A lot of them were guys around his height, just quite a few pounds smaller. Well, you had to, right? Because you can't put a a big man on him. How many big men can move in there? And even, even the bigs, though. Well, in, in non power five conferences, that's usually what happens, right? Yeah, like the guys that can look like that go to bigger power five conference yeah. schools. I'm not going to get too deep into it. If, if someone wants to go look at the numbers of that, go ahead. Because that was one of the things I was talking about when they first drafted him. But all in all, I mean, Bennett, it's an unfortunate story for him. But at the same time, you know, like you said, he's had chance after chance. And now it's it's really on him. Like if he wants to keep playing, for all we know, he could just take the paycheck and go to Europe. That's a very real option for him right now. Yeah, I mean, that could happen. Uh, the only two teams I could see, other than the Raptors bringing him back on like a D-League deal, would be the Suns or maybe the Blazers because Triano's there. Exactly. Yeah. Like, that's it. And but, Triano, I think, is the final, is the only coach in the NBA right now that actually trusts Anthony Bennett. Well, he won't play there, I'll tell you that much. Oh. He won't play this year. Like The only way he's going to play this year is maybe Sixers or Suns. Lost teams hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah. The thing that he could become, though, is if you go look back at Damari Carroll when he was with the Nuggets, I'm talking back when Messiah Jury was there, Messiah Jury released Damari Carroll. And now you look at where Damari Carroll's at in the first year of a four-year, $60 million deal. So this could not necessarily be the end for Anthony Bennett, but it's kind of looking that way. Because with Carroll, he was actually working hard. He was you know, he was a guy that always be like, he's a high-energy guy, but his game's raw. Yeah. With Bennett, you're like... There's talent there, but everything else is lacking. Is and he interested in basketball? <laughs> like, does he have desire? Like, those are things that far exceed talent. That is the worst question anyone should ever. You shouldn't ask have to you. ask that at the professional Never. level, man. Never. Like, you should, if Absolutely you're that kind of not. guy, go go usher somebody in their seat in section one fourteen. <laughs> yeah. Don't be on the court. Honestly. If you if you have to have that kind of heart at the professional yeah. level, get out of here. Yeah, and and you know what? It's funny. Everyone talks, but it's funny. One of the things that you you hear from the from the coaching staff and players that have played with him. Nicest constantly. guy, man. Yep. Hell, even when we met him, this here's a guy who he didn't have to. He was out there amongst the people at the at the Jays game when we met him. Yeah. Didn't have to say hi to anybody. Didn't have to ask for pictures or autographs or any of that stuff. We go up and ask him. The guy couldn't. The guy he was ready to take the camera out of our hands and do it himself. Oh you know yeah. What I mean? like, like I'm, I'm not knocking him as a human being. No, no. I, strictly as like a professional yeah. athlete standpoint. As a human being, he's awesome. Yeah. But what you do there and what you do on the court or oh, for the completely team, different, yeah. completely different, man. You yeah. got to have a little kill to you. You got to be, it's not easy being yeah. a professional athlete, right? You've like, you're be one a... of very special people in the world that are doing this profession. Absolutely. Take some pride in that. Have some killer instinct. Very true. So I, I'm very curious to see what Megan McPeak said about it. So you know what? Let's, uh, let's jump into your interview here with Megan McPeak, the Raptors 905 play-by-play announcer. And now joining us here on the TOT cast is a friend of the show, Megan McPeak, the play-by-play commentator of the Raptors 905. Megan, how are you doing this afternoon? I am good, given the weather that we had the last couple of days. Oh my gosh. It's, I was just finishing snowing the, or shoveling the driveway. Can you believe it? 
Oh man, I did mine. Uh, did mine this morning, and I think it took me about an hour. Oh my God! Did, now, do you use um, a snowplow or, or a shovel, or not the snowplow, the uh, uh, snowblower? <laughs> the snowblower. I use this snowblower. I got it working um, with the help of a neighbor, um, but uh, then I just shovel the remnants afterwards. But because of where I am, we get heavy. We got very heavy wind, so um, uh, a lot of snow drift. So it made the snow a lot heavier than it actually was. Ah. <laughs> Sometimes you just don't know, but there's a speaking of drastic changes. <laughs> the uh, the Raptors 905 since the All Star break. I mean, first off, the All Star break. How was that experience for you? Um, it was it was honestly uh, it was great. Probably uh, in my short career thus far, probably one of the best experiences um, of my life. Being able to not only just have it in Canada and in in Toronto, but um, be able to go to it, be a part of it, um, support Ron and, and Scott and John, um, who are partaking in the event. Um, so it was, it was an awesome, awesome overall experience. Absolutely. And I'm sure you had some bragging rights among some of the other media people once, uh, John was able to win the dunk contest, John Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's been interesting. We had, uh, there was a little back and forth between, I think it was myself and, oh, who was it? It was Canton, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the broadcaster for Canton. I can't remember his name at the moment, but, um, he thought that given a neutral ground that, um, DJ Steffens would have, uh, would have beat John Jordan in dunk competition. But, um, my, my comment to him was technically he wasn't a homegrown or, or, or a hometown guy. He, he had only played two games with the 905, both of which were on the road yep. uh, prior to the All-Star break once he was traded over. And then um, he only had his first home game experience uh, about a week and a half ago. So I don't think you can really say that it was home court advantage in that situation. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, nonetheless, though, I would, I would totally take another dunk competition between John and DJ and, and another uh, Zach and Aaron uh for a Saturday afternoon and a Saturday evening uh, event, so I, I I can't complain that the two dunk competitions that I witnessed. Absolutely, I mean, there's nothing more you could ask for when you saw it, when you see teams uh, put on a show like that. But uh, getting back to the 905, um, they've had some pretty moderate success the last couple of games since the All Star break. Uh, some of the players that uh, I've noticed that have definitely taken a step forward, at least on the offensive end, was uh, was Simbular. And he's a guy that I know is going to bring a lot of attention to the team, regardless of how the team even performs. Because, you know, a guy his size, he's going to attract attention wherever he goes. But the fact now, it actually looks like he's really starting to find his way in the NBA, in the NBA Development League. Yeah, he has. And it's basically been an improvement ever since the uh, D-League show- showcase back in, uh, back in January in Santa Cruz. He's improved game by game since then. Um, they didn't go with any... NBA signees, so he had no choice but to but to improve uh, but to play. And since then, he's been on the up and up. And the last oh man, I want to say I want to say six or seven games, he's I believe averaged a double double. He has yeah I six don't games. Think has had less than a double double in any of the games dating back a, uh, at least since a week before the All Star break. So yeah, he's been he's been great. The only thing that really I can see that he can improve on and that it's been talked about time and time again is his conditioning, but 
he's improved game by game. His minutes have improved every single game. So the fact he's doing this in season, you can't, you can't be disappointed about it. Obviously come off season, you're going to want to see his conditioning and his, his weight try and drop a bit if he can get that down and just dropping, dropping the weight will be not just great for him health wise, but also just for him on the court, he's going to feel lighter, be able to move a lot quicker because I mean, at seven five and I think three sixty, the fact that he's as mobile as he is at this point is outstanding. So if he can drop some more weight, get down to, I don't know, three thirty, and and it'll be crazy to see what he's able to do. Yeah, another player I wanted to talk about as well is uh, Scott Suggs. I mean, he ended up with twenty nine points, I believe, last game against Erie, and. Uh, given your opinion, you've had a chance to, you watch these guys day in and day out like nobody else. A guy like Suggs, he's been doing more than just okay for the Raptors 905 during this regular, uh, regular, uh, season. And do you, what are the things that he has to try and work on, uh, to get to the next level? And can he be a guy that can even help the Raptors down the stretch if they run into any kind of injury issues? Oh, it's, it's hard to say because of his size. He, that undersized, guard um he's too small to play the two yeah. um the two three in the nba but he's not quite got the perfection and the finesse if you will that you would want in a point guard um so he's sort of that in-betweener type of player uh because of his size but the veteran leadership and mindset that he brings for the 905 and coach mermis when he's on the floor is uncanny you you can't mm-hmm. look down that bench and not go with anybody else or excuse me and go with anybody else because they don't have any other veteran aside from sim and sim it's crazy to think sim is a veteran on that team and he's still so young yeah <laughs> um, but with scott Suggs, he's a veteran not only in the d-league but also just in basketball in general i believe he is one of the older guys i think 25 or 26 so he's been around the block a few times whether it's been in the D-League or in Europe playing overseas. So he knows how to sort of read the game that he can help with the younger guys. And, and you see that in late in games down the stretch, he's usually on the floor if the game is close um, or if the 905 are trying to make a run. Just because also, too, he you can put the ball in his hands late in the shot clock. You can get him the ball in a offensive set that has completely broken down. You can get him the ball with five, six seconds on the shot clock, and he's going to find a way to make something happen, whether it's creating his own shot or creating something to get somebody else open for a quick bucket as the shot clock is firing. And, and that comes from the veteran experience and the veteran mindset that he brings um, to the 905. And I think that's been so great for the 905 and Coach Mermis, but going in the NBA, I think it's because of his size, much like a Ronald Roberts being that sort of in-betweener type of player. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you never know what a team is looking for, whether it's not even – I mean, it might not even be the Raptors. You have two guys that literally in the past 24 hours got called up by two teams, neither of which were the Toronto Raptors. Wow. And now going back to uh, some of the guys, well, not necessarily on the roster anymore, but uh, the mother of all tweeners – Anthony Bennett's uh, unfortunate news that he got released by the Raptors uh, a couple of days ago. Um, has there been any talk around the organization, the Raptors 905 specifically, of re-signing Bennett to a D-League contract? Not that I'm aware of, not that I've been informed, and not that I've been told. So uh, your guess is as good as mine at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, it, it wouldn't be 
it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing because it means he's getting some minutes and he's getting some time. Um, but it all depends on what the 905 needs with, with Ron, um, with Ronald Roberts being down and hurt right now and, and his timetable sort of unknown. Um, with DeAndre Daniels still rehabbing that, uh, foot injury and hasn't been able to get any minutes or any, hasn't actually been able to dress yet for a game. So with those two injuries, they're still down, um, down, down a couple players, especially too with Axel and, and Greg Smith being, uh, picked up with 10 days. But, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what the 905 will look to do at all. It all comes down to if it's a move they want to make, if it's the right move for them to make, um, and if it's essentially the right move for, for Bennett to make. Mm-hmm. Now, Smyrna Caboclo, he's, uh, some people have been saying that lately his, uh, his offense has been kind of slowing down over the last couple of games, and some are attributing that to the fact that he's never played more basketball in his life than he has this season. And um, what have you seen since the last time we talked? Has there been any kind of improvement in his game, or has he been slowing down, or has he kind of been plateauing a little bit this season? What are your thoughts on what you've seen? I don't necessarily think it's that his offense is slowing down as opposed to he's playing within the confines of the game and what the coach and the coaching staff and Coach Mermis and his staff want to do uh, in a game when Bruno's assigned down. Um, the thing is, is that a lot of people think, well, when, when an NBA guy comes down, yes, they have the green light to shoot when they want, where they want, whatever, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they also have to realize and recognize that they're also there to develop and work. So it's, Trying to get their numbers doesn't seem to work every time they're down and assigned. It could be a maturity thing where he's realized, okay, you know what? Trying to be all about me hasn't worked for me in the past this season. Mm-hmm. Why don't I try to play within my game and within the, with, within the system and see how that goes for me? So although his offensive numbers may not be up and where you'd like them to be as a fan, his overall game has been improving game by game because he's getting things done in other areas, whether it's defensively, like Sim altering the, the shots of the opponents and, and being the threat defensively with the, with the length that he has in his wingspan and being able to block shots as easily as he can. Um, so I wouldn't say his offense is slowed down. I think he's just realized that there's another way he can play the game of basketball to get recognized. Now looking forward to uh, the game on Thursday against the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. Uh, what are some of the things you'd like to see the, the Raptors 905 implement going into this game? Um, it's also going to be uh, one of the the first game of a, of a considerable homestay, right? That's going on until at least Saturday, March 12th. Um, yeah, just going into the preview of this game, what are some of the things you'd like to see this team overall uh, implement against the Mad Ants? Um, I would probably say trans- transition, excuse me, defense. And turnover, taking care of the ball, valuing the possession, valuing the, the shot clock, and trying to utilize that entire shot clock. Because the more of the shot clock you take off, that's twenty. That's, that's anywhere from fifteen to twenty-four seconds you've just taken off the game clock that your opponent doesn't have to work with. So I mean, if they can if they can try and value the possession a lot more than they they have been, and defensively get back in transition because. The thing is, and it coincides with each other, when they turn the ball over, their transition defense ends up being not the prettiest. 
So if they can value possession, they have a better chance at getting back defensively in transition um, and, and making things happen on the defensive end and making things easier for them on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. And Megan, as always, uh, greatly appreciate your inputs, your knowledge, and above all else, your time. Thank you so much for uh, joining no, us here. <laughs> thank you. Jo- yes, thank you very much for joining us here on the TOT cast. Um, uh, be sure to talk to you soon before the end of the season. And uh, go Raptors 905. <laughs> 100%. Thanks so much, Ryan. I appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yes, for sure. Take care. And that was Megan McPeak, the Raptors 905 play-by-play announcer. Ryan, nice job. Thank you. Thoughts on anything going there from it? Uh, any takeaways you had listening back to it now? Um, well, I think the um, the number one thing to take away from all of this that I basically took away from that interview is that one, the Raptors 905, after a horrendous start to the season, absolutely horrendous, they've uh, they've put it together and they've they've been playing it actually um, just above the 500 mark since the turn of the uh, the year, since entering 2016. They've actually had a pretty good season. It's almost like you can just kind of chuck away that last part of the season and just worry about this. Because at the end of the day, all these guys care about is playing well enough to get offers to go back to the NBA. Let's not make any. Let's not let's not take this for anything that it isn't. Yeah, that's why they have the D League showcase too, right? Exactly. Now, one person on that team that I honestly, and it was a reason why I led the interview off with that I did not think was going to do as well as he did. Sim Bular. How about him? Last six games he's had. What a span! Not only averaging a double double, he's recorded six straight double doubles, and. You know, I had a chance to to watch them play the Erie uh, Bayhawks, and when they were playing there, and, and Bular was starting, getting heavy minutes, this guy, I mean, yeah, he was a little slow getting up and down the court. He was always usually the last guy that would get there, but once he got into the post, when he got deep into the post, there was nothing Erie could do. They, they could not stop him, because he would, any missed shot, and, and the, the amount of confidence that gives your shooters, knowing that you're into the rim and... As soon as you're under the rim, and if it's anything close to you, you're going to get it. They, it, it it's going to give a shooter the confidence to fire away, you know. So, you know, kudos to him. He's been, he's immovable down low, and better yet, he's 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 mastered the idea of as Megan was touching on the idea of verticality of just standing up straight, being as tall as you possibly can, and just disrupting shooters on the defensive end. And it's really all, all more. That's really all you can ask for a guy his size. What's his mobility been like? I've heard that it's improved drastically. Uh, he can move up and down the court a little bit better now. That's something that's hindered him since his days in New Mexico State. Absolutely. Is it improved, do you think? From it's it's, it's improved. It's still not NBA caliber by no means. But uh, it's it's getting to the point now where he's actually able to kind of rotate off for defensive help, especially in zone situations when guards are trying to attack the rim. He If, if a guy's getting beaten... Boulard's shown the ability that when he needs to, he can get he can get a couple he can get a quick step on a guard, stay in front of them, and distract them just enough that they're altering that shot, having to shoot a little bit too high that they don't want to that a higher arc that they wouldn't want to necessarily put in, uh, wouldn't want to taking an extra step trying to look for the man instead of putting the shot up a, a shot that they would normally take against a guy that was a bit uh, a bit smaller than Bular. and honestly, it also goes back to some of the stuff that we we're seeing. I know we've been talking about the uh, uh, team Canada. A couple of times in this podcast, but um, even going back to those Pan Am games when he was playing it, you're seeing you're seeing a lot of that similar kind of stuff where he's altering every shot, he's getting the rebounds he needs to get. He's not necessarily dominating, but when he's on the floor, everyone has to pay attention where he is. That's fair. Then I would ask you this: Do you feel like a guy like Bilar has a place in the NBA going forward? When you consider that the league is kind of shifting towards transition basketball and D and three. 
where you play D and you shoot threes. You think he can fit in the league now going forward? Only for a team that goes completely against that grain. Or if you have guys that he'd have to be drastically quicker than what he is right now. He would have to show the kind of... I mean, let me give you an example. We all know the, the, the most well-known seven foot sixer of them all, Yao Ming, right? He showed a quickness for a guy his size that had never been seen. Keep in mind, though, he was also only about 305 pounds, which is fairly skinny for a guy who's seven foot six. Bular sitting at 365. <laughs> That's a big man. Exactly. To Megan's point, he has to lose weight. He has to become quicker. It's the only way he's ever going to get to the NBA. Everything else is coming along nicely and a lot better. Like, I, I didn't expect him to even do this well this year. No? And to string together six straight double-doubles, I, I thought it was a great idea to bring him along. I was like, well, why not take a chance on him, right? Who knows what, what, what we'll okay, see. Yeah. And, and what, what, what we are seeing now is a guy that when he's in his comfort zone, he's actually a force to be reckoned with at the very least at the NBDL level. And if he's a force to be reckoned with there, he can also be a force to be reckoned with if he ever wants to go play in Europe for a pro contract there and get some big money if it doesn't work out in the NBA. As of right now, though, you know, still a relatively young guy. He's only about, what, 23, 24 years old now? He's already made history as the only Indian uh, de- uh, descent player to ever play in the NBA. And... I'll put it this way. The Raptors 905 were right to take a chance on him. It's showing that it's paying off, at least at the developmental league level. And I think that, once again, if he just loses the weight and he plays on a team that at least focuses a little bit on the post as opposed to how the league is going towards a team that may try an archaic style just to keep themselves competitive at the league level, he might find a spot on that roster. Well, if you can find a team at the archaic level that's competitive, I'd like to see them. (laughs) because <laughs> I don't think that's going to last in this new transition. Even the Spurs uh, don't really do a lot of that no more. Yeah. But when you look at the Raptors' kind of roster construction as well, I don't know if Bilar is really somebody that can fit there unless you figure JV's locked up long-term. Biombo's got the player option coming out that, let's be honest, he'd be crazy not to opt out of at the end of this season because he's going to make more money probably elsewhere. I hate to say that, but yeah, if you put a in his agent's perspective, you got to do it. So that kind of leaves a vacant backup spot at the center position. You think Bilar can reach that, considering what the Raptors play now? I know you said it fits an archaic style, which is not the Raptors anymore. You think that he could be that 11th or 12th man on the bench? If he continues the way he's going, if he continues ra- racking up double-doubles, if he continues losing the weight, he still has to get better. Right now, no. The short answer is no. That's not That's not his spot. He would have to continue to improve his game. I would totally agree with that. I think somebody that... We'll get a long look at camp next year, and probably in the summer league as well, is uh, Ronald Roberts. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of his game. He's got a lot of energy to him. He's, yeah. He gets up and down the court. He plays D. Uh, it's unfortunate the Raptors don't have a roster spot where they can kind of use the two 10-day contracts they're allowed to use throughout a regular season because once you use those up, you got to sign the guy, and they can risk losing him altogether. Yeah. But I think he's somebody that will get a long, long look. And to what Megan was saying, him and Scott Suggs are kind of tweeners, right? Yeah. But I do feel like Ronald Roberts is the right kind of tweener that could fit in the new style of the NBA, especially if the Raptors are going to lose a guy like Biombo, uh, potentially James Johnson. Roberts is a guy that can kind of transition in well to what the Raptors do, in my opinion. Yep. So he's somebody I'm very curious to watch over the summer and camp next year, if he's here even. But. And, and let's be honest, the Raptors, all they really need right now are hustle guys and also that one final X-Factor player to be title contenders. But as far as what we can worry about and what we can change right now with the Raptors, 
if we were to lose guys like that, what do those guys do? They're hustling hard guys. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about this year, there's nothing in the 905 that is going to make the Raptors better at the moment. Yeah. There's nothing. Like, but to your point, if we're talking about possible guys leaving, the only thing the Raptors are really looking for right now is hustling hard guys. They've got their, sto- their scoring to a certain extent between Valanciunas, DeMar Carroll when he's back has shown that he can fill up the bucket when he needs to. Obviously, DeRozan and, and Lowry... Anyone else? I mean, well, you say hustle and heart, guys, but there's also another aspect that is going to have to be added into that, and that's cheap, controllable contracts, which these guys will be. Mm-hmm. And when you got DeRozan heading towards a max deal, he's going to get it. Then you got Lowry coming up in a couple of years. There's the cap's going to get increasingly tighter for the Raptors after this summer. So you want cheap, controllable guys? That's what you got D League for now. Yep. That's where you can take the San Antonio Spurs model and what they have down there in Austin, and kind of. Develop these guys, and slowly coming out of you saying, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> and then he's a contributor to the team, right? Yep. That's what you want, ideally, to happen with a D-League roster like this, is get these cheap, controllable contracts that can eventually develop into contributors for your team. So that's really what this boils down to with the 905, in my opinion, is you need these guys to develop. I, I know I'm kind of preaching the choir a bit here with what a developmental league is, but the Raptors are going to need it more than ever. This 905 team has such a great importance on their future, especially when you consider this team has two first-round draft picks this year, two more the following year. Yep. These guys are going to have to develop there. So the 905, in my opinion, is more crucial than people want to give it credit for. They're good problems to have. When you're a good team, you're going to have to pay guys a lot of money, and in turn to everything you just said, the young guys or the guys that they pick up at the developmental league level are going to have to show and prove. And it's going to be a fun couple of years here, in, in the next couple of seasons for the Toronto Raptors, and I'm looking forward to it. So I would say Masai, we trust. <laughs> yeah, Masai's got some big decisions coming up. Uh, turnover rate's going to be happening. So I'm, I'm curious to see what will be next, especially starting this summer. And I'm not talking just playoffs. I'm talking the offseason as well. KD, baby. <laughs> I would love to see KD here. Yeah. Well, it's not, like I said with the Leafs and Stamkos, it's, it's not out of the question. Hey, you know what? Before we start dreaming, let's get the heck out of here. All right, sounds good. Of course, that was this episode of the TLT Cast. My name's Ryan Greco, being joined by Chris O'Kranitz. If you want to reach the show, be sure to hit us up on Twitter at Tip of the Tower. If you want to reach out to me personally, you can reach me at Ryan Greco 416 Reach out to Chris at Chris O'Kranitz. Always be sure to like our Facebook page. And, of course, be sure to subscribe us on iTunes. Officially available on iTunes. You can listen to us whenever you like. Everyone have yourself a fantastic day. Take care.